No, I'm doing well. Uh, we're going to have a good time tonight. I want to try my best to just make it feel like you're at a Bible study. And uh, I got some things for you. But picture Jesus sitting in a, in a circle, if you would, if he's in the center and we're just around him. And I'm sure not Jesus, but I'm going to give his message that he's given to me to give to you. And I think that's sort of cool. We can just sit around and make it an intimate setting, if you would say that, and feel like, well, this is close. Uh, and I don't want to just give a message. I mean, it's not the Elks Club or the Kiwanis Club. I don't want to just give a talk. I want to give the words of life. And uh, so I don't have a lot of chances to do that uh, and, or opportunities, I should say. But I got one tonight, so I want to give it to you. And um, we'll work together. And uh, let me ask, uh, you know, make sure that those guys out there... Uh, can y'all, I don't know if they would hear it anyway, can y'all applaud for the people listening and it's like, yeah, okay. there you go. Uh, thank you. Because those guys are going to listen. Uh, they might be listening live. They might be listening later. And uh, you can go home. You used to have to get a CD or a DVD or a cassette tape or whatever it was back in the day of somebody who spoke at camp. Now they can just listen to it. So thank you, Paul, for making all this available. All right. Let's see if you remember a few things. Um, we're going to make you feel right at home. I really do. I want you just to drop down your guard. And, uh, you know, you can go out and you sometimes have to go to a fancy place. Then you come home, you take the tie off and think, now I can be myself. Now I can put on my T-shirt and sweats or jeans or whatever. I just want you to be comfortable. So I'm your speaker this week, and I ask you to come in and sit down. And I look at you guys as unique. I love, you know, campers. And so if they were here, I'd welcome them in too. But, I mean... I get to talk to you guys. You're the leaders of the campers. So it's sort of like I feel like when a general talks to the officers who talks to the enlisted men, uh, I'm talking to the leaders right here. But y'all need some encouragement too. So make yourself at home. I'm glad you're here. You're the unseen. Uh, we're going to ask for the unseen guest, but the welcome guest, and that would be Jesus. So pray with me one more time. Dear Jesus, I pray that you'd invade this place and invade our hearts and let no territory be unconquered by you. Mm. Pray that you'd take over and we'd surrender those areas that we've been holding back from you. Lord, I pray that you'd take those small areas of our life we think no one knows about, but you do. And I pray that we'd surrender things to you and wave a white flag and say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own, so you take it over. And we'll find that that's such a sweet surrender. So Lord, you search us and try us and see if there be any wicked way in us and remove it. And may we come clean and confess our sins, for we have a Savior that promises to forgive us when we do confess our sins. So, Lord, we ask you right now, come in and meet with us, and you be the teacher, and you bless our time. May we walk away changed when we end our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. It's dangerous when you ask God to do that because he will. Uh, <laughs> God, you change us. I think it's cool to ask him that. Smile at this funny picture. Uh, there is no funny picture. I just thought I would go right up past it because, oh, see, you're getting ready for that. Uh, there's a funny picture. My message tonight is, uh, I'm going to say change your same. Change your same. Are you going to stay the same as you were when you came in or are you going to change? If you went to the dentist office and you went in and he checked out your teeth and he said, I don't see any cavities in you. I think you're great to go. See ya. And you walk by down there, well, basically nothing changed. But it didn't have to because there's not anything wrong. But then again, if you go in there and you got a cavity and he says, we really need to do something. You see the difference? So, I mean, sometimes staying the way you are is good. Sometimes change is good. So it can actually be either one. For example, if you came in and somebody needed to change a dirty diaper, that would probably be a change you'd want to take care of. Nah, we just let it go. And then after a while, everybody in the whole room is like, Mom, I think, you know, the little brother needs some help here. And it's like, no, uh, he doesn't need any help. We're good. No, change is good. Sometimes, though, if things are all right and people start messing with it, for example, picture people in a boat, everything's going along smoothly, and then your friends come up and they take the oar and start rocking. It's like, uh... What would you tell your friends? I mean, we've even said this before. Picture somebody taking your picture. Mom gets the whole family together, and she's got everybody, and she says, all right, I've got everybody right here. Two words come out of her mouth. What's the next thing? What would you all say? 
I was thinking, don't move. I've got everybody's face. Don't move. You mean like this? Great, you moved. Now, you know, get back over there again. We got everybody. Yeah, freeze. Do not move. And she goes over and clicks it, and everybody's in the frame. Then again, if she might say, you two inches left, no back, right, okay, right there. So we might need adjusting. We might need to stay just where we are. The old familiar phrase, don't rock the boat. Yeah, don't rock the boat. If you rock the boat and we were all settled, you overturn us. That was a bad thing. We didn't need change and you changed us. Of course, the diaper would probably need some change and if we don't do that. So I'm going to give you a spiritual checkup. We just move right in and we zero in on your heart. Wouldn't that be embarrassing? To, well, we're going to put your heart on the screen. You say, no, I'm good to go. Take my mind. If there's a film in my camera in my mind, show it to everybody. Or would you say, please don't let anybody watch that. That's what I've been thinking sometimes today. See, God knows those things. So I'm going to do a little spiritual checkup. Spiritual checkup. What about the change? So, spiritual checkup. I pull over and I pull up the, my x-ray machine and I'll, let's see, maybe i say, have you been spiritually exercising here lately? And you say, I don't know. Well, just as Jesus taught, <clears throat> excuse me, and practiced and got his disciples into some patterns, we spend time, <clears throat> excuse me, with God in prayer. Philippians 4, 6, sometimes we get nervous or fretful if it's a COVID-19, if it's a coronavirus, and it's like I might get sick. Well, it's okay to be cautious. I understand that. But then again, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Look at this. Be anxious for nothing. So I got a, a contrast there. You can either be anxious. What's another word for anxious? Worry. Yeah, you can either worry or you can pray. One moves you forward, one just makes you sit still. Worry sort of like a car on blocks without the wheels. Get a lot of engine noise, and a lot of people racing the engine, and we're not going anywhere. Well, that's worry. Someone said it this way, and I, I agree. Worry is like a rocking chair. A lot of movement, no advancement. Look at me. I am really rocking now. <laughs> yeah, rock on, Grandma. You know, so she's just rocking, getting nowhere. And you say, I'm just going to worry myself. What are we going to do about Christmas presents? It's in the middle of July, Mom. You know, some people just, they'll pitch that worry all the way months ahead of time or in the future. Quit worrying. Every time you feel like worrying, just pray instead. How about this one? Our heart, let the words of my mouth, that's convicting, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, oh, Lord, my Redeemer. How about this one? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. That's another way of saying what you say, what you think. So Jesus comes along and says, okay, uh, we'll do that all the time on the zip line or something. Leanne's out there. She'll come by and say, let me check this. Is that good? Is that Yeah, she pulls on this. Pulls. All right, we're good to go. How about Jesus comes by? Let me check. Uh, how about your mind in the last half an hour? I've got a couple of things you need to work on there. Okay. How about your heart? Uh, well, See, it's, it's heavy right now. It's What's the matter? So what if Jesus pulled up and made a few adjustments right there? My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Maybe even this one, our temperature. <laughs> How does temperature? In Revelation, he says, oh, I would that you were hot or cold, but instead you are, what's that temperature in Revelation he mentions? Yeah, that guy named Luke Warm. Yeah, he says, Luke Warm. And he says, since you're lukewarm, you make me want to throw up. Is it that bad? He says, spew you out of my mouth. Now, some of you might like hot coffee in the morning. I like iced coffee. I can drink either one. Uh, I love iced coffee. I probably got addicted to those. I stop at Dunkin' Donuts in the summer, and I can now $3, $2.99 plus tax, $3.12, and I get the big, large iced coffee. I love those. I can just suck it down. My wife will turn around like, are you through? Yeah, I mean, I could run them IV intravenously. I just, they're gone. So I like iced coffee. But if it's not iced coffee and it's not piping hot, it's sort of in between, it's like, yuck. Or like, hey, how'd you like an egg for breakfast? And you pull it out there and steam's coming off of it and somebody calls you. It's like, okay. And then you go back over and you could pick the plate up and the egg doesn't even leave, you know, upside down. It's just, oh my, look, just put it on the wall. Uh, egg art, you know, so it's like, you cut that and it's like, well, this is slimy now. So it's not hot or cold, it's like, 
because you can take them and make them cold and we can have boiled eggs or something. I mean, but not in between. Here's your piping hot, mediocre, average room temperature cup of coffee. Yes. You know, I doubt if you'd want that. Here's an egg that's been laying out for, well, I don't know. Shoo. No, the fly's dead. It's been laying there so long it killed the fly. So it's like, I don't want that. It's been there too long. Quench not the spirit. Don't put the spirit out. He starts working in you. What can quench him? Doing things he doesn't want you to do. We should fan the flames instead of putting them out. So here's a good prescription. Take this to the spiritual drugstore. A daily dose of God's word. You say, we are, that is so corny. You mean just reading this will keep me out of trouble? I'm just saying, yes, it will. There's just something about it. I'll tell you this. If I go to the gym sometimes and I exercise and I feel like I do pretty good and I come home and think, wow, that was great. Other times I go, nothing to write home about, but I just win anyway. Jim Ryan, who was, uh, uh, that was Bill Rogers, I believe. Yeah, he ran the Boston Marathon. He said, I got two rules every day. I run, rule number one, I run every day. Rule number two, rule one never changes. And so when you want to get in shape for something that's 26 miles long, he says, I can't take days off. I've met people that are pretty good in tennis. I've played against some. They're better than me. And I remember one guy told me, he says, I try to play tennis how many days in a year? 365, he plays 300. He says, I try to play 300 days out of the year. So in other words, add them up, here or two a day there, but I take two months off. I play tennis 10 months of the year. No wonder you're good. I play it about 10 days out of the year. But anyway, that's probably why, if we're a hit or miss, a prescription. You come to me and say, I just feel like I'm having problems. Let me write you a prescription. Read your Bible. Yeah, that's corny. No, it's not. It works. Try it. You try it and tell me how it... And after a while, you might read some verses. Alistair Begg, I think that's my son's favorite preacher. He beats me, but that's okay. I like Alistair too. Alistair Begg from Scotland, he would say this, all Scripture is inspired, but not all Scripture is equally inspiring. What's that mean? It's all inspired, it's all by God, but I can read something and go, wow, that's David and Goliath. And I can read the other one over here then, and take the blood of the sacrifice and touch the right earlobe and big toe of the king. And then you say, oh, you're making it up. No, it's in the Bible. Person offering the sacrifice, take, supposed to take blood and put it on his right earlobe and put it on the big toe. I don't know. I walk away from that going, it's, so that doesn't wow me like some other scripture, but I still need to read it. And I feel better when I do, and it's just a routine, okay? When I first read that, it's like earlobe, elbow, toe. I feel like I was giving a sign in baseball for somebody to steal a base, you know? It's like both earlobe. And it's like, that's in there. It is. Still second while you're reading the Bible. Here's medicine. Take it. It's good. And it's like sometimes... Uh, in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, anybody ever taken communion before? Yeah, all of us have. Here's what Paul was going to do. Uh, I, I can give you a few verses, but over in 2 Corinthians, remember we're just sitting around the fire now. Jesus is talking to you. So if he puts something on your heart and you say, wow, uh, I'm glad we're casual and comfortable and just sitting here talking, but I didn't know you was going to uh, step on my toes. I mean, these verses step on my toes too. When I give communion at Life Point Church back in Roanoke, I'll tell people sometimes to uh, consider, well, we can read a few verses. Consider this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Read verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will, do, will not do anything wrong. Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you're strong in our prayers, and our prayer is for your perfection. Go back and read verse 5. Examine yourselves. If you ever fell and had a bike wreck, and the first thing you do, you are a doctor for the next few minutes. And you go, 
I've done that before. I've come around a curve. I remember I was, I was real bright when I was young. You know, here's the handlebars right here, and you think, well, if you turn this much, you're going to turn like that. If you turn a little bit more, maybe we'll turn that. What if you turn them like in a... Yeah, then the bike stopped. I went over the handlebars, and my own bike hit me in the back. So you, I've never seen a bike yet that'll go like this and then, you know, like that. But I guess for some reason, I must have thought, well, let me turn the handlebars really good. I didn't. I go over the bike. It hits me. I slide out from under it. Gravels go up in the air and in my knee. And then I finally get up, and my uncle's sitting on the front porch of the house. And after a cloud of dust, it looked like a, you know, Hiroshima bomb fell. And, you know, gravel's everywhere. He looks down and says, you okay? <laughs> what did you think I felt like saying? Doing, never had a better day in my life. I'm great. No, I didn't. I went, uh, yeah, I'm okay. <gasps> or else, I'm okay. Had the breath knocked out of me. And I get up now, I become a doctor. Let's see. Oh, my, that's gravel's in there. And, oh, yeah, you're, you're examining yourself. Why are you examining yourself? You want to see if there's any damage. Or you could just go on back and say, I'm not going to look. Actually, I've done that before with the injuries, too. Uh, I put a barbell up like this, took it out of the rack. Picture me parallel here. I took it out of the rack and went like this, went to put it back and missed the rack. And I was going like this, and I thought, I can't hang on forever because it's going to tear my shoulder out. So I just think, all right, let me let it go. And it, my hand just kept sticking to the bar. It wouldn't let, and the bar was, it had 225 on it, so it slammed into my hand on the bench and then went off. And I got up and thought, my hand's hurting. I don't even want to look at it. I went over and laid down, put my feet up on the bench because I knew started getting a little bit queasy. And I thought, it's bad. <clears throat> so I didn't even want to look, but I felt a little sick at my stomach. It was starting. So I finally said, okay. <sighs> Looked at this nail and it's amazing. Wasn't anything wrong. I thought, hallelujah. It was split on the other side. Though. So I thought, you know, you, you, I don't mind blood as long as it's not mine. You know, if it's yours, I'm okay with it. But anyway, I looked at mine and thought, oh, that hurts. I remember I'd go to school in the next couple of days and I'd say, okay, let me check mail and do that. And I'd look down and somebody, who's been checking it? It looks like somebody bled on the keyboard. Oh, it, I'm sorry. Uh, it was coming through the bandage. Probably could have took a stitch or two. But yes, yeah, sometimes I'm just saying this. It's uncomfortable to examine yourself. But you got to. You got to. You got to say what's wrong. Okay, I'm going to look at a couple Bible stories tonight. Let's first consider these verses before we go any further. If a man be in Christ, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We're supposed to be new creations. And if I'm not, then I'm making God out a liar or else I'm not doing what he says. And God's no liar. So if he says, you're going to be a new creation if you're in me and I'm not, I don't look like a new creation, then that's my fault. It's not God's. I saw it on a bumper sticker one time. It says, if you and God used to be close and you're not anymore, it wasn't Him that moved. God, I don't feel close to you. I'm still where I've always been, would say God. How about this verse too? And this is one of the toughest things to, in James chapter 2, verse 18, someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. So don't pick on me. You've got your faith. I've got my works. We're happy. Well, and this is a real tough thing to teach your church or to tell my friends that I'm doing right now. If I had you in a circle around me and Jesus even were speaking instead of me, he'd say, guys, listen real carefully. Faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for it is by grace you are saved through faith. Faith does save you. Not of works. You don't work to get saved. I understand that. Because if you could do that, somebody would brag. For by grace you are saved through faith, not, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works. Any man should boast. But, anybody know what verse 10? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You'd have that camp of people that say, See there, I don't have to work to be saved. You don't. What's verse 10 say? For we are his workmanship, though. Oh. And if we really save, something ought to be different about us. Stephen Curtis Chapman, greatest Christian contemporary singer of all time. No, I love Stephen Curtis Chapman. He's a good guy. 
I mean, he really is. He's a genuine. He's a real deal. I saw him on a stage one time, and I got to go in. We few of us got to see him before the concert, and people could ask him questions and everything. And I thought it was going to be a lot of Q and A. It was only like two or three, and I thought, and I'd, I'd actually taken my guitar to the concert. Actually, people, are you in the band? Boy, I was so tempted to say, oh, yeah. No, I wasn't. The reason why I took my guitar, because it's a Stephen Curtis Chapman guitar, and I wanted him to sign it, and he did that night, and it was cool. But anyway, I was sitting there on the front row, and somebody said, we're going to take one more question, and my wife says, you better ask. It's like, okay. I stood up, and I said, first thing I want to tell you, before I ask a question, I said, I love you, man. You are the real deal to me. You touch my heart with your songs. You got a tender heart to Jesus, and I love you. He gets down off the chair, comes over there, leans over the stage, gives me a hug. He says, I love you too. Goes back over and gets on the chair. How many people would do that? Somebody whose heart's genuine. So he says, now, and I ask a question. I say, here's my question. Would you autograph my guy? And the guy comes out there and says, okay, everybody else, hang on. The concert's going to start. You bring your guitar. Let's go. So I went backstage, and I thought, this is cool. <laughs> me and Steve is me and Stephen, S.E. Square, hanging together. So I went back there and I said, okay. Uh, he, came, he came out and he started talking to me. That's about the third time I've met him. But anyway, he said, where do you want me to sign? I said, wherever you want to. He said, can I sign it where I sign my dad's? So he flips it over and puts it up there and signs it. He says, can I play it? I said, have out of here. You pick and he sits there and plays that and goes, man, these all things always sound so good. And I went, why don't you use it tonight? And he says, no, I got mine. It's exactly like this. But he said, thanks, so. Well, how's your, oh, yeah, well, she's driving a car, and we're just sitting there talking to manager over here. Like, <laughs> we're well, old friends. Hurry up, we got to do this. So he finally let me uh, get down off the stage and go back. But I thought, man, he's just genuine. He's real. He didn't put on any airs or acts. I didn't change who I was. And he sings a song that says, what about the change? What about the difference? What about the grace? What about forgiveness? What about the life I'm, that's showing I'm undergoing a what? Change. He says you can put stickers on your car and magnets on your refrigerator and wear a cross and do all those things, but if there is no change, I wonder if you're saved. I can put on a white collar and look like a priest. It doesn't make me a Christian. No more than me going to the airport and walking around in uniform makes me a pilot. I've got to have a change. So Stephen Curtis sings about the change. James sings, you show me your faith. Without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. I will show you. So with that in mind, I am going to ask you to check out three stories in the Bible and you tell me about these people that changed. You are probably one of these people. Did you know that? You're probably one of the people. You are going to be one of the people. I just have a feeling these three people are us, or we're them, or however you want to say that. Here's the first one. Who in the world is that? He's a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Groups coming around. The story's found in Luke. Would you turn to Luke, please? Luke. Luke. What chapter? Ten. Luke chapter 10. This is one of my favorite stories. And again, so we're just sitting around a campfire or we're sitting in our circular Bible study and, and I might turn and ask you and see what you think. And Did I tell you the, the right scripture? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yep. I'm going to eventually uh, get to a few things. I said... Uh, Luke chapter 10, I'm sorry, let's go to Luke chapter 19. <laughs> Had y'all, no, sorry. Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through, verse 1 of chapter 19 says, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He wasn't just an ordinary tax collector, he's the chief tax collector. He's not just a manager of Long John Silvers, he is the regional representative of 22 Long John Silvers. That's sort of like the way you look at this. A little bit above him would be the whole East Coast. A little bit above there would be the Mist West. And then we'll keep going up to the East, Midwest. We get the president of the company. But this guy's a top dog. He doesn't just run the store. He runs about 10 or 12 stores. 
So he's the chief tax collector. He checks on the other tax collectors. And he was wealthy. Well, I wonder why. Because he cheated people out of their money. If you owe me $10, pay me 12 But I only owe you 10 I'm going to have you arrested. Okay, I'll pay you 12 That's called extortion. So I get 12 from him, and I get 15 from you, and I've charged you 35 even though you owe me 28 How about all that extra money? I'm putting it in my pocket. The Roman, they don't like me because I'm really a Jew who's turned against them. So the Romans think that I'm bad because I'm not really a Roman, but they get me to collect the taxes. My Jewish friends don't like me because I've sort of turned coat on them. And now, so I'm stuck in between. These guys don't like me. Those guys don't like me. I'm a tax collector. Sort of work for Rome, but my friends don't like me, and those guys don't like me. And this guy's wealthy. Shows you that money doesn't buy happiness. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Always good. But being a short man, he could not. Very, uh, I think he had some initiative here. Ingenious because of the crowd. So he ran ahead of them, climbed a sycamore tree to see Jesus. Since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he knows and looks up and like, my, what great effort he went to. I could get a point of my message off that verse right there. How much effort do you take to see Jesus? Jesus, arising at 5.30, found Edgar already on the couch in the living room waiting on him. Yes. Or Jesus, rising at the crack of noon, like some of you, uh, found you still sleeping. I'm waiting on you for the Bible study. Be right there, Jesus. Back asleep again. A lot of effort. Zacchaeus climbs a tree to see him. Jesus comes down and says, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to your house. I, wow. My house? Yep. That'd be like Stephen Curtis. Edgar, can I come to your house? <laughs> sure. You want to drive the car? No, just we'll go to your house. Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to go to your house. So he came down at once, welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. Don't you always like those people? Yeah, look at him over there. Look at him. It's like those women at church. Would you look at her? What color is her hair this week? You know, it's like... Our teens will do that to each other. Oh, hi, how you doing? Two-faced. I mean, they, they call me. It's like, I don't really like to talk you know, say anything wrong, and I don't want to talk behind your back. Well, good, that's why I'm facing you, because I know as soon as I do, you probably will talk behind my back. You got people that just say things, and so these guys mutter. Look, who are they talking about, by the way, when they start murdering? I don't think they're talking about Zacchaeus. Jesus, can you believe Jesus is eating with a sinner? Who's he supposed to eat with? If he can't eat with sinners, there's nobody left on the planet for him to eat with. Be going into a dentist office again. <gasps> what are you doing? Working on his teeth. What are you doing? Working on his teeth. That's what dentists do. What are you doing? Look at Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is taking time out for a sinner. Can you imagine that? Probably murdering, mumbling under their lips. There. Look at Jesus. Jesus can hear his name. He just can't hear the rest. Now, Jesus can hear anything. All the people, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Don't you know they just emphasize that word? <laughs> he is a sinner. Well, what are you all? You know what? I bet you Zacchaeus on cloud nine. He's a short man, but not anymore. He's 10 feet tall because he's walking with Jesus. <laughs> feet aren't even touching the ground. If you go, and he walks past the crowd, and the crowd goes, Jesus is going to eat with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Watch what he does. So Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Oh, my. Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. No more cheating for me. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to pay him back four times. If I gave you back your money, that would be something. If I double that, and they sometimes do that with stores, they'll have a uh, money back, double money back guarantee. You spent $2 on this purse, and you don't like it, I'll give you $4 back, and you buy what you want to. Zacchaeus says, no, no. 
I'm going to give you back $16. I'll give you back. He just keeps on going. Well, if I pay you, I'll give you $8 back for that $2. You don't waste any money here. I'll give you back four times what I've stolen from you. Look what he says. I'm going to give up to half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything which he had, I'll pay back four times the amount. I love verse 9. If you miss everything else, just look at that. Jesus said to him, Today, what has come to this house? Salvation. And he did not turn around and get in the face of all the other people. He did not say, You people that were mumbling over there, y'all could have had what he got, but you too busy looking at yourself. Hmm. Today, salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. And somebody who's been lost just now showed up. So I'm going to describe him as lost. Now, don't raise your hand. I'm not my point to embarrass anybody, but some of you might have just fell into that category. I don't know, Jesus. Then you're lost. Boy, that's rude. No, that's truth. <laughs> it's not. Don't sugarcoat it. Do you know Jesus or not? Well, I think so. That's not something you want to think so. That's something that you want to know so. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not guess, not hope, not maybe, not mm, I don't know. Doctor, do I have cancer? Mm, not sure. Could be. I don't know. You might die, might not. Might have a week, might have a day. Might have one year. I'm not sure. Thanks for narrowing it down. I don't even, not even sure you have cancer. You might, though. I don't know. You ever ask the teacher if you're passing? How's my grades? Well, am I failing? I'm not sure. Am I passing? Not sure. But you're either passing or failing. Well, thanks. I was worried up until then. But you might be passing. <laughs> I love that word, might. You might be. Don't hold me to it. Wow. How about this? Zacchaeus, you saved? Absolutely. So in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, you get the story of Zacchaeus. He was lost. Now, what about the change? He gave half his money to the poor. He gave back four times the stuff he had stolen. This man is the real deal. I want Zacchaeus in my church. Say, well, that's not me. I know Jesus. Really? And then maybe this is you. Maybe you've been running from him. Maybe you've been a little bit wayward. That's a prodigal son, you can guess. And I would call him, he's left. Why? He's left home. Now you say, well, I didn't leave home. I'm still home. Oh, you're there under the roof, but maybe you've left the position you used to be. Uh, Luke chapter 15, just go back a few chapters. So Zacchaeus is lost. And back in chapter 15, the prodigal son is lost. No, he's just left. He's still the father's son. He just gets tired of... Now, I'm going to make it applicable, big word there, uh, to you. You haven't ran away from home, but sometimes we get tired of that routine. We just get tired of, I'm going to have people, remember what I told you, Tom Rayner said, I'm going to have people in my church and churches across. How many people will not come back? when 20% they won't come back. Why? They're just out of a routine. This boy, a young man, is out of a routine. He's just tired of, so he thinks, I'm going to pack it up and leave. Verse, chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus said, There's a man who had two sons. Youngest one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Usually you ask for that when the father dies. He wants his, it's sort of like reading a will early. Listen, I know you're not dead. Can I have some money? <laughs> well, my wife Jenny said that one time uh, to her grandmother. Her grandmother said she had this, what well, was really cosmetic jewelry. Girls, is cosmetic jewelry real or fake? It's fake, right? Plastic. So her grandmother had this ton of jewel, you know, all these jewelry, big ear, all this. And Jenny's just a little girl. My wife said, Grandma, can I play with those, those earrings? Sure. And she gave it to him. Then she come back in a while and says, this stuff's so pretty. Can I have it? And she says, you can have that when I die. Five minutes later, my wife comes up. Little girl says, Grandma, when are you going to die? 
Now she was a little girl, have pity thing. But what was it? What did she want? She wanted the jewelry. Grandma, you're going to die in the next half an hour so I can take you home? You know, that's basically what she... Here's a grown man said the same thing. Hey, Daddy, you going to die anytime soon? I hope not. Not unless I eat your mom's cooking. <laughs> just joking, just, just joking. <laughs> no. Just joking, Mom. Uh, no, I'm not going to die. Can I have my inheritance anyway? Why? Dad, I'm just tired of your rules. I'm tired of this. I just want to go and have a... Okay. So he gives him the money. The young man takes off. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country. Distant. It's always distant. It's away. And there he squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, this young man's been smoking weed, sleeping around, visiting the drinking places. Really? Well, I don't know what they did back then, but he's sure not living a godly life. We'd probably call him what Baptists like to call backslidden. He's nowhere near where he should be. So he went, severe famine hit the land after he squandered his wealth. By the way, how many friends has he got now that his money's gone? Zero. You know, they don't like you once your money's gone. He was so desperate he went and hired himself out as a citizen of the country who sent him to work to feed pigs. This boy's a Jewish boy. Pig's an unclean animal. He's taking care of stuff. He probably looked up one day and said, I've never been this low in my life. I'm knee-deep in slop, left my family, and then he says, wait a minute, I got an idea. I'm going to go home. I'll, I'll be a hired hand. My, my dad's people that work for him is better than this. I'll just go back and tell daddy I'll just work in the field. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. That means he's feeding slop to these pigs and the people, I'm starving. How about you? You're working at Hardee's and going, Somebody left a coat down in the trash can. Pretty desperate, aren't you? At least I half eat a hamburger. Dibs. I got it. I saw it first. This boy's desperate. He's eating slop. Then he finally, when he came to his senses, verse 17, I love that. Only God can bring that. When he came to his senses, how many of my fathers hired me and have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm going to sit out. I'm going to go back home. And you know the story. He comes in. I believe his father sort of looked for him every day. He said, I'm no longer to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, how did his daddy see him a long way off? His dad owned a pair of binoculars. No, I think his dad looked down the lane about every day. Maybe today. And goes on back in the house. Next day he looks, just checking it out. Finally he looks down and he sees him. I'm going to give you something that I've thought about before. I don't know if it's exactly the case. But do these people live sort of close together? What do you think? They live close together? Got buildings beside each other? So the dad comes out and says, if my son comes on the outskirts of town and starts walking down, what will the neighbors say? Yeah, about time you come home. You know that group that was murmuring under their breath with Zachy? Yeah, look at that. There he is. Slime ball. Yeah, they're just going to rag on him. So his dad gets up, sees him far off, runs, takes his coat, cloak, puts it around his son, shields him from the insults. You say, oh, there's no verse. I just like to think that. Come on, son, I love you. Daddy, no, no, no you're must. Come on. And takes him in, and the neighbors probably go, hey, oh, what are you doing? I'm taking care of my son, and you get off of him, get off his back and quit hollering at him. He's back home. He was lost, and now he's found. He was dead, and now he's alive, and I got my son back. I've never read any stories of a runaway coming home and the dad or mom going, why'd you come back? Wow. Now, maybe there are people in the world I don't know. The first guy was lost. That was Zacchaeus. Is Zacchaeus like you? Are you lost? You say, no, I'm saved. Well, maybe I'm just away from God. Oh. How about the last one? I'm going to ask you to do something. We'll soon close here. You say, okay, this is me. This is the one I touched on last night. It's found over in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And this is where 
the rubber meets the road, this is where I get a little bit more, and if Jesus was in this circle with you around him, he would maybe look at you individually, and I'd find your face, and I would go, okay, do you want to serve me? And you might say, well, sure. Do you really want to serve me? Sounds like Peter talking to him in John 21. Simon Peter, you love me? Well, sure. Do you really love me? Well, sure. Do you really? And that last look just probably lasered. Do you really love me? Lord. Well, he's going to ask you something in Acts chapter 19. Maybe, just maybe, this is you. You say, I'm saved. I'm not Zacchaeus. I don't really feel backslidden, so I'm not the prodigal son. Well, then maybe you're in this category. Acts chapter 19. Look at verse 11. See, this is why you read the Bible. These are just cool things right here. I, I love this one. If you don't know, I'll put the scripture up there. It's time to let loose. You say, what do you mean let loose? Remember the Bible? Uh, we started off with the Bible being our, sort of like the doctor, sort of like the medical book kind of idea, a self-examination. I want you to examine and see where you're at right now. And we're going to ask you know, God just to roll around the room and touch your heart. I love it because it's not me. And I mean, I might like you, but I can't shield you and say, Lord, don't pick on her too. No, Lord needs to touch all of her hearts. If you call that picking on you, then I'm going to ask him to pick on you. Because it's only fine-tuning you. It's only, I mean, I'm, if, if God is a coach right here and I'm getting ready to run on a football field, he says, wait, Edgar, come here a minute. What? I wouldn't do that to him. I'd say, yes, sir. Man, you better put your mouthpiece in. Oh, sorry. Yeah, see, he saved me from losing, potentially losing teeth right there. He's not angry at me. So he says, Edgar, I need you to do something. He's correcting something that needs to be corrected. We're fine-tuning this plane so it'll fly straight. Okay? So now, here it is. Some things don't rock the boat. If you're doing good things, you say, I read this, I pray, I do everything. Then don't mess with it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But on the same hand, he say, I don't read, I don't do that. Then it's time we tweak this a little bit, and then it must need change. What about the change? So here we go. I think these people right here got preached to that day, and watch what happens. I'm even going to read and go back to verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Look at this, handkerchiefs. Handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. If that ain't cool, I don't know what is. Run to Grandma, take this handkerchief. Paul blessed it. Cover Grandma up with the handkerchief. She's up. Wow. Hey, Paul, can I have a napkin? Sure. <laughs> Everything he touches, God's in it. Is he really? Keep reading. I'll show you something. This is amazing, too. Some Jews, they must have had a problem back then. Some towns have trouble with drinking or drugs or prostitution or whatever. These people are talking a lot about evil spirits. Watch what happens. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits, see, they thought they, they tried to pretend like something. What do you call those people that pretend like they're something that they're not? Hypocrite. They're a hypocrite. You know? Would you think the head deacon in every church is a solid on fire Christian? You would think. So if I said, I'm a head deacon, everybody be quiet. Put out a cigarette. All right, now, I'm going to tell you about God. You're losing ground with me really fast. Why? Not that work save you, but I'm expecting a lot out of you. If I'm the captain, all right, the captain of the football team, where is the captain? He quit again, coach. I think he's at the house. Fine captain. Here's Paul. He is powerful. He blesses handkerchiefs and sends them. You open up a package from Paul. <laughs> Look, Mom, package your ball. You know, we're suddenly engulfed in the Holy Spirit. Well, look at what he does right here. They're going to cast out some demons. Some Jews went around trying to drive out evil spirits, trying to evoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, now watch this. What do they say? In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Here are seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief, chief priest, was doing this. He was trying to cast out a demon and he didn't have any power behind him. That's a hypocrite. That's a pretender. He's trying to do something that he shouldn't be doing. That'd be like me coming to your house. Let me tune your piano. Do you know anything? I have no idea what I'm doing. I am a tree cutter. I'm a lumberjack. Welcome to my house. $100 and I go out. <laughs> tree falls in the car. <laughs> bust the windshield out. 
Your dad, have you ever done this before? No. Well, then don't lie and say you're a lumberjack. You guys trying to cast out demons, are y'all solid with God? No. Then here's what's going to happen to you. Watch this. The evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. These demons even know Paul. I mean, the devil aggravates me and demons tempt me, but I'm small fry to the devil. I mean, he's going to go after Jonathan Falwell for he will me. I mean, demons probably try to tempt me. That There's only one devil. God can be anywhere, but it's a scary stuff. We know Jesus and we know Paul, but who in the world are you? And look what they do. Then the man who had an evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Don't mess with things that you're not really oh, ready for that fight. Now people saw this and suddenly went, wow, there is a battle going on between the good and the evil and the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. I think they were almost overcome by this power and they realized we've got to get right with God. So here's what they did. Verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. The name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believe now came and openly confessed. Look at this. I'm not asking you to do this tonight, but if we suddenly had a prayer meeting that stood up and somebody says, I just want to confess, I struggle with this. Y'all don't even need to know what it is, but I just confess. Wouldn't that be cool, everybody? We used to have a revival. And I wouldn't say, oh, no, I would praise the Lord. We're all coming clean. The devil would hate that. These people stand up and they start confess, openly confess their evil deeds. A number of them who practice sorcery. Again, see, that stuff is, must have been a big problem in this town. They practice sorcery. They brought their scrolls together, burned them publicly. They weren't ashamed. If somebody says, I didn't know you. Somebody tossing a Playboy magazine on there, a penthouse magazine, or here's my pornography. I'm going to toss it. Here's my trash. Here's my drinking. Here's my whatever. It's just you dump it. And they toss it in the fire. And I don't think anybody who had just tossed whatever their weakness was in the fire would turn around and look at you and go, gosh, I didn't know you. They'd, oh, they'd give each other a hug. We're coming clean tonight. Hallelujah. And everybody just tosses their junk in the fire. Wow. Look what happens. These people must have been serious. You think Nicodemus was serious? Yeah, he took down the body of Jesus. We jumped to Zacchaeus. Is he serious? Yeah, he went home with Jesus. You ain't the prodigal son, came to his senses. Look at this guy. Or these people. I love this. When they tossed their scrolls in the fire, when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. I told you as a quick way of math, you math people, uh, let's say you make $5 an hour. That's low, I guess, in today's times. $5 times eight hours. You're going to work every day, eight hours. That's $40 a day. 40 times 50,000. That's $2 million. Okay, anybody quick in math? Take 50,000 days, divide it by 365, because that's how many is in a year, according to you. What's 50,000 divided by 365? That's 137. I ran it up. It's 136.9. 137 years of wages they just tossed in the fire. You think these people are serious? Oh, yeah. That'd be like me putting up a wheelbarrow, stopping, here's my filthy magazines. I'm going to toss that in the... Oh, I might want to save that one. I'm going to toss it... Nah, how about this? Just dump them and get it over with. Here's my CD that uses four cuss words and the, goes in the fire. Here's my, right here. And Jesus is over there putting wood in the fire. Getting it up night. Toss your stuff in there. But God, this is tough. I know. Try Calvary. Ouch. Well, you really know how to hurt. Yeah, I did. This is painful. You really want to go there? <laughs> I'm sorry, Jesus. No, I don't. Sorry. We hurt him sometimes by doing that. I saw a little skit one time. It was a guy named, it was a person portraying Jesus right here, and he's sitting down on the couch. And the girl, oh, hi, Jesus. And she would give him a drink of Kool-Aid or whatever and walk around, and she'd sit with him. And then the phone rang. She picked it up and said, hello. And said, do you want to come over to, yeah, mm, okay, yeah. And she looks over at Jesus like, I'll be there. Turns around, now, Jesus, I'm going to go over to some friend's house. And he naturally gets up because wherever we go, 
Jesus goes. And she turned around and said, Jesus, you can't come this time. I'm not going to church. I'm going, well, anyway, I'm going to be gone for a while. And Jesus follows her out. Jesus keeps following. She comes back over and she says, you got to sit down. He gets back up and she says, gosh, I want you to stay here. And he keeps getting up. She finally, as he stands, she takes one hand out and acts like she's pounding a nail and that's into the wall and takes the other one. And then she walks out the door and leaves Jesus hanging. And that's how the skit ended. I wonder if we ever do that. You got to stay right here because this is the lot. No, these people right here said enough's enough. Toss things in the fire, no more nailing Jesus up while we go. If Jesus saw everything that we did today, they tossed things in the fire. Well, watch what happens when they do that. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So are you Zacchaeus? Nope. Prodigal son? Nope. Well, then maybe you're just, just right here. I know I'm saved, and I don't think I'm backslidden, but there's some things I need to get rid of and things I need to do. Then now's the time to do it. Dear Jesus, I want to pray and ask your help on everybody into the sound of my voice. And Lord, I'm with them. If we'd be in a circle, I would not be standing up. I'd be with them in a circle. Because Lord, I have things that I always have to bring before you and ask you to forgive me and I just keep going. We all have certain sins that we struggle with at times. And the devil knows that handle of where he can grab a hold of us, where our temptations are. He knows our biggest weakness. And so, Jesus, we just got to come to you and confess it and keep going. But, Lord, we sometimes aid the devil. I think we put the things around us for certain songs on a cell phone or certain friends that bring out our bad actions. Or, Lord, whatever it is, then we, maybe we need some new friends and a new phone. Maybe we need new music. Maybe we need to quit watching a movie or a show that, Jesus, whatever it is, whatever you're bringing to mind right now, we got things that we just need to come clean and toss in the fire. So I pray for us to have courage enough to do that. And these people didn't come up and say, wonder what the price tag is on this DVD or CD or whatever it could have been in today's time. They just tossed it. They were tired of being controlled by something. Lord, today set us free. So Lord, we confess our sins to you. And if we confess, you're faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins, not just a few, all of them. You'll put our sins as far as from east is to west in the sea of your forgetfulness. And the, and the verse that my son Andy always quotes, I love that one, it says, and their lawless deeds I'll remember no more. So Lord, you don't remember our sins. You forgive us. But then Lord, help us to put up guardrails to stay away from the things we just confessed. So Lord, please help those right now, my friends right around me, right here to be serious with you. They may not be Zacchaeus that had to climb up a tree and he got saved that day, but I could see a change in Zacchaeus. He gave up the half he had, paid back four times what he had stolen, and it's just like, Lord, he's taking care of the poor. He's a changed man. Prodigal son said, he'd come to his senses. He went back home, tired of being in a slop. And Lord, these people in Acts 19, they... They just came clean. They suddenly feared you. That is, they respected you as God. So Lord, help us to put you back where you belong, your rightful place on the throne, and say, Jesus, I bow before you, and I'm sorry for hurting you. Would you forgive me and cleanse me, and I want to be stronger. May this be the first night that I'm just going to go home and sleep like a baby because I'm not guilty of things. I'm going to confess my sins. I'm not going to hide stuff from you. I'm going to present it all to you and say, God, here I am. So with your head bowed and eyes closed, would you just think of what we just now talked about in this simple Bible study?